is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation. Welcome to this week's Killer Innovation Show. We're broadcasting today live from San Francisco. Um, I'm out here uh, visiting some companies and uh, trying to uh, get away from some of the uh, Colorado weather this week. Uh, this week, I've invited Anthony to come from directly to come on to the show. Um, uh, Anthony Bryden, he and I met at CES. Uh, I host an event called Pitch It, where we invited 10 startup companies to come in and talk about their companies. And, and Anthony's pitch definitely stood out from the, from the Pitch It event. So I wanted to give him a chance to kind of come in and, and share it with all of you so you all have a chance to hear about this. So I'll, rather than stealing his thunder, Anthony, why don't you just give us just a quick introduction about yourself, your background. Uh, so my name's Anthony Bryden. I have been a entrepreneur for roughly the last 17 years. I've worked with the same co-founding team at four different uh, startups over this. Yeah, I read that in your bio. You guys all stay together over the years. I, Are you guys like friends from way back? I, yeah, we met professionally, but I think that's uh, I think that's part of the trick, you know, is is finding folks that uh, uh, you work very well with, that complement your skill sets, and uh, and uh, working with them, you know, again and again in different iterations. I think that is one way of not having to start up again and again. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So, in the case at the pitch at events in Las Vegas, you stood up and and introduced. Um, you're the company you're with now directly to, we had the room as about 35 CEOs and CTOs um, in, in the audience who are looking to engage with startup companies. But I can tell you when you got up there and you did your pitch, you definitely got people's attention because you're in a space that people just don't, typically don't think about as being an area to innovate in. So I want you to talk a little bit about what directly is all about and what is it you do. So, so I think you're right. I mean, we are in the customer service space. and Kind of boring. Customer service space hasn't seen a whole lot of innovation in the last 10, 20, 30, you know, 40 years for that matter. Um, but, uh, you know, we're doing something that we think uh, uh, can fundamentally change and fundamentally improve that. And what Directly does is make on-demand apps that power customer service for companies like Airbnb and Pinterest and Republic Wireless. And you, you mentioned the Uber analogs. Um, what these companies do is invite their expert users you know, to become experts. They give them our mobile apps. And then they're actually routing customer questions to those expert users and rewarding them in cash and credits uh, when they can help a customer, help a customer very quickly and, and effectively delight them. So Uber for customer care. This is the hook that really kind of you know, the light bulb kind of went off. Not an area where I normally would have applied it to. Well, we were, I mean, we were very much inspired by companies like Uber and Lyft. My, my uh, co-founders and I, we had toyed around with this problem for a long time, for 15 years, looking for some way to, to effectively solve it and deliver higher levels of service. But it wasn't until Uber and Lyft started coming up three, four years ago uh, that we drew that inspiration and said, uh, that there was a different way of doing this. Now, now when you know the the when when most folks think of Uber, they think of the in front of the button. They think of hitting that button and having the car show up at their curb. You know, there's an element of Uber and Lyft that is innovation behind the button, which is how they've created these networks of drivers, mm -hmm. tens of thousands of drivers that are available um, 
you know, in small cycles of their time. And that's effectively when a company uh, builds a network of experts, you know, their expert users could be Airbnb hosts or Pinterest pinfluers that are available, you know, on demand. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the, that's the piece of innovation that was really interesting to us. Well, I think, you know, at least in my experience, I always have the most interesting conversations in an Uber or a Lyft ride, right? Because you understand what the people's background and, and, and they're passionate about Uber and Lyft. And in this case, you're connecting a company with their most passionate users to actually help solve problems for other customers, which is, you know, I think it can be just incredibly powerful if more companies could figure out how to do that. So, so that, you know, the analog, what, we, what we've seen with these ride-sharing services is uh, the passengers are getting a much more delightful experience. Oh, yeah, by far. You know, a driver that wants to be there, a driver that's passionate about what they're doing, a driver that kind of uh, working on their own time and terms. And that enthusiasm uh, really rolls over to a better experience. Oh, clearly. Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, always clean, the cars are cleaner. The, the, the people are just more passionate. And in many cases, they're using the, the Uber experience, you know, as a, as many cases, an in, income augmentation. It's college kids. They've got a little bit of extra time trying to make a little extra money at Christmas time. And they get to pick and choose when versus punching a clock. They're doing it as a, as a job, as, as most people think about it. Right. So that's excited us as well. Because while, while this initial domain for us, I mean, it is customer service and it is, it is building a better you know, uh, uh, mousetrap, if you will, build, building a better engine. But, you know, the broad conviction here that we have is that the whole nature of work is changing. Yeah. And it's changing from these very dated fixed models, people driving to work, punching a clock, sitting on a cubicle, you know, sitting on a terminal, doing it all over again. It's changing to these fluid models where folks are working on smartphones. Uh, they're working on the work that they want on their own time and terms. And we think that uh, is really exciting. And you can't get a bigger contrast um, in the uh, the kind of constraints of the fixed model in a call center, you know, it's it's very rigid, you know, um, compared to the fluidity and the entrepreneurship that comes um, when we build networks of experts of people that are working on what they want when they want. Yeah, well, that's it, right? And in, in, in many cases, you can get um, a level of expertise that would almost be impossible for you to train a customer care rep on in a traditional training model. When uh, so that, that, that's spot on. And when it, it is a world of difference, you know, when you call into a call center and you've got a question about your phone, for example, and it's being answered by somebody that's looking at a PDF manual. Rather than a user of the phone. Uh, you know, in our networks for, for a cell company uh, like Republic Wireless, you know, that question, if you've got a question about a specific phone, it can be answered by somebody that uses that specific phone that has been on that specific phone for over a year and knows exactly what you're talking about. And that... Uh, when it comes from someone that's passionate about the brand and expert in the exact problem, um, you know that's a whole that's a whole nother kettle of fish. Well, and plus, in this case, do you, with your clients, do the customer service reps reveal that they're not quote traditional employees of the company? Yeah, absolutely. Because so, I think that I think that actually would be a great thing from the conversation perspective because. I maybe trust this person a little bit more versus feeling like I'm being sold to. It uh, so it's really important, you know. We we in in every time we help a company roll out a network like this, we draw a really bright line between the experts that are part of the company's broader network um, and the employees. Mm -hmm. And and that's very important because even though we can, there's a high level of performance. You know, it's social. You know, so the tone is always not, you know is more conversational. You know, um, so we always draw that bright line. But yes, um, one of the big uh, assets is the authenticity when your question is being answered by someone that loves the brand, who sticks with the brand and the like. 
Um, that's been uh, that's right on. Yeah, it's it, it's uh, like I said, you know, you you know, some of us just like well, particularly the millennial generation now, thinking about even calling into a call center is like, you know, I can't even think of the last time my son called me. Right. I get a text message. I get an email. I don't get a phone call. So, so that, I mean, that was the important part to us. You know, for, for us, there were kind of three pieces. When, 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 you, when a company builds one of these fluid networks, um, one of it is a fundamentally more enjoyable experience for the worker. You know, the experts in our network make 200 bucks a week on average. They make 2000 a week, you know, if they're top performers. Um, and they're choosing kind of their work environment. But on the, on the other side, uh, the customer experiences that get opened up you know, when you can deliver an answer in minutes or seconds instead of, you know, 19 hours, um, there's whole new types of customer experiences that are very consistent what it, with what's being demanded by millennials and younger users. Well, today. that's it. I think, I think it's actually a better connection than kind of the traditional I fall into call queue hell, you know, rather than finding someone who, who can, I can have a conversation with, who gets it, the, who can solve my problem and I can get going. You know, the parents, they may be willing to sit on hold. You know, for five minutes. I guess I qualify as a parent. And now. they w- may be willing to wait 19, 19 hours, you know, to get a response back. But Not that the, is game over. Exactly. For today's world, it just doesn't work. Yes. So I think, well, this, when you were at, uh, at the Pitch It event, this is the thing that really just resonated with me because I think that's where, uh, you know, nobody ever thinks about these kind of behind the scenes. You know, we all think about the product, we think about customer segmentation. But most people, in the case of the innovation game, they don't think about the the things that are happening behind them from the standpoint of uh, innovation, where you can actually add a whole level of innovation value to it. Yep. And uh, yes, I mean, like one one of the really interesting things about our early customers, you know, when you when you think about uh, uh, customers like Pinterest and Republic Wireless and Airbnb, um, they're innovating fundamentally in their industries, but they're also applying that same innovation to every part of their business. Yeah. It's uh that's an interesting that's a that's an interesting point. We're gonna come back, we're gonna pick up on this, talking about uh directly, and then also get you some feedback since you are a serial entrepreneur. I want to get more of those stories out there. So thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Come back after this commercial break. I'm Phil McKinney and you're listening to Killer Innovations on the BizTalk Radio Network. Talk Radio. This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation. Welcome back to Killer Innovations. I'm Phil McKinney, your host. Uh, We're continuing our conversation with Anthony Bryden at Directly. We started off in the first segment giving a little bit of background on Directly being the, I don't know, I guess guess the best description I've come up with is the the Uber for customer care, bringing uh, businesses experts in as part of, quote, a network to provide really kind of that superior support and experience for users of products or services. So today you've got what? You've got, uh, you said uh, Republic Wireless, you've got Pinterest. Who else are, who else is using? 
Uh, Airbnb. Oh, Airbnb. Uh, Nextdoor. Oh, really? Uh, Lyft. You know, there's a there's a, a broader set of very innovative companies, and you know, we we only launched formally nine months ago. After, so you're really uh, you're still pretty young then. Still pretty young. A year in beta prior to that, and some significant R and D prior to that. But uh, like a lot of startups, you know, your early customers are the ones that are challenging the status quo <laughs> on every possible dimension. And you know, in the next few years, I think the onus is going to be on us um, to build the same sort of customer base in more traditional companies. Right. Yeah. So in this case, nine months and a year before that. So what were you? In the first segment, you shared that the four of you kind of been together as a team as part of the startup activity. So what were you guys doing prior to uh, the work here directly? So, so a lot of the principal companies go back a couple companies together. I've got one co-founder that I go all the way back to 98 with. Whoa. Um, and, um, you know, the companies have had a thread and a theme between them. Um, but they've they've been varied. You know, our first company uh, was a company that uh, my co-founder Jeff started, which was a music distribution platform uh, okay. you know, for independent artists and for small labels. Our second uh, one was a uh, an enterprise social network company. Uh, you know, this is a fluid work. So this is like a pre-Yammer? Uh, yeah, it was essentially Facebook for Fortune 500 companies. Oh, okay. Um, and, you know, the uh, my... You know, they've my co-founder and I have always believed that there are these opportunities that get created when uh, there's a technology shift and a cultural shift happening at the same time. And we've always looked for those kind of moments in time. Um, and that's that is one of the things that have kind of unified the music company and the social networking company and, and directly which we're working on right now. But uh, the other thread is that. Uh, being entrepreneurs, we've had the ability and privilege to pick uh, the problem that really moves and motivates us at any given time, and that can be that can be in very different fields. So, is this a case when you talk about kind of this, you know, the you know finding that social shift? Is there are they social shifts that you guys find, which is kind of a problem for yourselves? Or do you do you, like my question is, is do you project yourself in the annoyances you have as being kind of the trigger for the idea? If you don't. I don't think you can be passionate about it. it like it, it, it. Uh, I, I think fundamentally the most important thing in in starting a venture is to pick a problem uh, that you believe is important and a problem that you're passionate about and have a level of passion that can power you for ten years, for twenty years. Uh, because the better your company does, the longer you're going to spend on that problem. Right. You know, uh, so so choosing it is really important. And and the passion for it, all, every startup, um, it, regardless of whether it's on the cover of Fortune, you know, or not, every startup has these ups and downs that are profound. Um, and if you don't believe uh, that what you're doing is important and you don't have passion for it, uh, I think it is, uh, it, it, it guarantee means that when the going gets tough, you know, the company will fall apart. Right. You're not going to muscle through. Perseverance isn't going to be there. So so I think that, I mean, you pick that important problem. You pick one that you're passionate about. When I when I talked about um, it is, you know, uh, you know, you can have broad set of passions. I think um, what we look for in addition to that is where there are those shifts coming together. And and the examples I give, you know, what, what we'll say, what I, what I think kind of categorically, when the technology is shifting and the culture is shifting, there you get the opportunity for, uh, world-changing companies. So, yeah, one example, you know, uh, when social networks came up, you know, they're, they're, the technology was there to create Facebook, but there was a culture changing and there was a cultural objection. 
So folks said, are folks really going to put pictures of their kids online? <laughs> you know, they laughed at it. I mean, it, and uh, the answer was yes. And a hundred billion dollar company was born. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when, uh, when Lyft and Uber came up, folks said, okay, the technology was there. And folks said, are, are people really going to get, are women really going to get in a car with a strange driver, you know, at midnight on a Saturday? You know, and the and the answer was yes. You know, and another you know hundred billion dollar segment is born. Airbnb, are folks really going to let strangers stay in their bedroom and their home? You know, and the answer is yes. So there you've got um, technology that enables something for the first time, but you've also got a cultural shift. Now for us, um, the mobile platform as a new way to work is a technology shift, but you've also got a culture of the the fundamental way work is changing, um, shifting at the same time. And um, there's always a question of whether it's going to go or not, but it does go. There you get the opportunity to create something, um, you know, uh, truly moving. So you've mentioned, you've brought this up twice now with your, this view that work is changing. What do you mean by that? You I mean, as far as do companies really have employees or do you really go kind of to this extended network of people to fulfill the needs of businesses now? So... Yeah, I mean, I mean, we think so. We think that uh, work is moving to these fluid models really rapidly, and it, there's there's a lot of examples in consumer segments that we that we've kind of touched on. You've got um, uh, companies like Uber en route to being the biggest transportation company in the world, with almost no fixed workforce. Uh, Airbnb being the biggest hoteler in the world with almost no inventory. Instacart, no delivery vehicles, uh, and the like. Um, so those things that are happening in consumer segments, we think are going to happen to the enterprise side, uh, you know, very quickly as well. And, um, you know, uh, today's business requires agility and uh, the workforce models that are 20th century workforce models, where it's really higher to hire, really higher to onboard, um, you know, those, those models are not proving uh, adaptable enough and agile enough. And in our segment, you know, for example, you often can't deliver a better than a 12-hour response time, you know, with a fixed work model and customer <laughs> service. And it's breaking, you know. So, um, you know, so yes, we think the composition uh, uh, of companies is going to change. There is always going to be a fixed workforce competi- uh, composition, but there's whole functions that are going to be augmented by fluid workforces um, and, and that are going to perform a lot, lot better. Interesting, because this gets to get into this whole issue of, um, you know, what is the what is the value chain that companies deliver in the future? You know, how does that all stitch together when you don't control the value chain, you know, from end to end anymore? You've got people from the outside coming in. Yeah. So, so the, I mean, yes. And there's there's amazing economic theory on this. And on uh, there's a there's an economist named Coase on the theory of the firm. And it used to be everything was vertically integrated and owned by one company, you know, and then companies bought up distributors, you know, and, and uh, then started companies buying in the open market. Um, so there's a lot of economic theory that points to this fluid future that, that we see as inevitable. Perfect. When we come back from this commercial break, we're, I'm, Anthony, I'm going to ask you when we come back, I'm interested in getting kind of your lessons learned given the serial entrepreneurialism. So we come back, we're going to pick up from there. You're listening to Phil McKinney on Killer Innovations on the BizTalk Radio Network. Stay right there. We've got more to talk about. BizTalk Radio.
This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation. Welcome back to Killer Innovations. I'm Phil McKinney. We're speaking today with Anthony Bryden. Anthony is the CEO and co-founder of Directly, the, uh, the, the company that's applying the Uber model to customer care, customer services, which is traditionally not an area that we think about from the standpoint of areas for, uh, for innovation. Uh, really kind of a banner list of, of customers using it. But and th what I want to talk about now, though, is, is, you know, this isn't your first rodeo, right? You guys That's have been right. doing this for nine months. You um, had R&D going on for a year. Years, per since, since 2011. Since 2011 yes. in this space. Uh, and but you've got a whole series of, of, of companies that, that you get you, particularly your one co-founder and then a collection of others that you've kind of formed this team. So if you look back across all those companies, you know, and you had to boil it down to a handful of kind of lessons learned, you know, kind of the, the trials and tribulations, but kind of the lessons learned. If, you know, if someone's going to think about jumping in, you, last segment you gave what I thought was just a, a great you know, what kind of lessons learned about how do you identify and select, you know, an idea, you know, from the standpoint of looking for that, uh, the social shifts, yep. you know, that are kind of coming. So I'm looking for more of those because I think our listeners would, I think my listeners would really benefit from, from that. So, so in terms of a playbook, mm -hmm. you know, of how we look at it, the, the, the first thing I've described is picking that problem area that you're mm -hmm. really passionate about. That, that is, that's job number one. That is the most important thing. Uh, you know, it's not an MBA decision. It's not a market analysis. It's something, it's a pain you felt, and it's something that you think you could work for 20 years on. Um, you know, the second, the second lesson is to be radically open about that idea. The tendency is to hoard it, to not tell people about it, to worry about competitive risk, to ask folks to sign NDAs. And the yeah, like. well, you, you and I were talking before we went live about the fact that I just had a guy today send me an email. He's got this great idea, yep. but he won't tell me about it until I sign the NDA. And I'm like, ah, then I'm not going to hear the idea. As an entrepreneur, you're signing your, your death sentence. Right, you can't sign creating, NDAs. Creating, it's hard enough. So, so what radically open means, taking some risk, a, an undeniable risk that your idea is going to get stolen, but the, the benefits of uh, talking about it in terms of getting feedback on it, in terms of attracting people to it, in terms of honing it. So being radically open, um, it, you know, is a, is a key second point. Right. My point also on that whole piece is the fact that it's not, the value is not in the idea. The value is in the execution. Yep. And if it's your idea and it's something you're really passionate about, odds are even whoever you share with is not going to have that passion and they're not going to have that execution commitment that you have. Your, your stomach can feel a little sick. When we started directly, I went around to the CEOs and bought coffees for some of the folks that were proximal in the space, close to you know, what we were considering doing, and I asked them for feedback. You know, because one, if they could do it in a heartbeat, 
you know, if it was effortless for them, so for somebody else to do, well, you kind of want to know that straight off too, right? Because the last thing you want to do to be is a million dollars into it and a year of your life into it when somebody just snaps their finger and does it, right? You know, and knocks you at it. Well, so, also, it gives you an indication of how much competitive advantage you really have. Yes, yeah, so you can have that pit, you know, that that sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach when you're exposing your idea and going out, and you and I think you've got to muscle through it right. in those early stages. Right. Um, third, third lesson. Uh, Build a product really quickly and get into the market very quickly. When we when we started uh, toying around with directly, um, we did three sprints. You know, a sprint is a ten day uh, burst where you're building code, and we had an initial product ready and out and on the web. You know, in about thirty days. Really. And it was incredibly crude, but an expert could sign up. You know, could answer questions, could earn rewards that we were paying on PayPal. You know, and we and the the very fundamentals of the systems were there in three sprints in thirty days. Now we're on sprint one hundred and eleven. <laughs> you know, today with a bigger team and, and with a with a with a much bigger team. Um, but arguably, that's one hundred and eleven sprints into the the same fundamental vectors that were there in embryonically in the third sprint. So it's really important to get out almost immediately, get in the market, get people using it. Um, and you know, we call that a minimally viable product Just strip it down to its bare necessity and get out there. Um, because that's the only way to get that, uh, that, that feedback. Right. And, and I think this, this whole concept of get out there fast was some, something that you can prove or at least get validation from, from the standpoint. So in the case of the early days, did you actually have cust real customers or? No, what we, you know, what we, what we did was we had real experts where we were signing up experts uh, who, you know, off of, you know, off of LinkedIn and off of Facebook and the like, and we were feeding them, you know, sample questions. Oh, okay. you know, and, test and paying questions. them for it. And yeah. And sometimes, and in fact, you know, to, to get the questions coming in, we built a widget network across the web where folks could ask questions about kind of any company and then we would steer them out. It wasn't anything near our final form, but we said, how do we get, you know, a real life simulation? Right, so it's really, you really were able to simulate really the whole end-to-end -end piece before you actually had a customer committed. In, in 30 days, you yes. know, and in, in three sprints. And there, um, you know, in our systems now, the companies offer the reward for the experts to earn, but there we were um, simulating, we were pretending the companies who were offering the reward for the experts to earn and seeing how that drove performance and seeing how that drove response times and the like. Um, so there's a lot of art to thinking uh, what that small scale simulation would look like mm -hmm. and, and how to hack it. Um, because, you know, if you, if you have only a few lines of code, you know, how on earth can you convince a company, uh, you know, to get going? That, that can be a catch 22 and a dead end. So, right, um, right. so whether you're starting a room sharing service and start by renting out your own room, you know, or a ride sharing service. And and you're the driver. By, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look at how companies like Munchery, you know, came up, they were their founders themselves driving around delivering. Right. You know, um, that the art of kind of um, simulating, you know, that initial service and doing it very cheaply right. um, is important. Interesting. So we, we, um, we uh, and we always try, we, we start with our own time, we start with our own money. You know, and we and we really try to think how do we vet this idea as quickly and cheaply as possible? Because, it, frankly, um, you know, in the uh, you know, I, I would say that seven or eight of our prior to starting directly, we had seven or eight ideas for something that would also tackle the same problem area, um, and most of them failed. You know, and luckily they failed really quickly. They failed after just a couple months of effort. Um, you know that that uh, 
that fail fast and fail inexpensively becomes really important. Right, it does. Um, so uh, when you think about, though, from the standpoint of directly, you're, so you're nine months into it. What does directly look like a year from now? So, I mean, the, the thing I'd say is we're nine months after launching the company, right. announcing our customers and announcing our A, but we were a year in beta all the way back to May 14 prior. And then we were two and a half years of R&D off of those prototypes prior. Oh, so, wow. So there's a, there is a, um, you so know, you're the, so you're the over, you're, you're, you're the overnight success that took four years. Everybody is the overnight <laughs> success that takes four years. And, um, and entrepreneurially like you, if, if you, um, do not take the, uh, the cover stories, you know, for granted, you know, uh, for every successful juggernaut that truly is overnight, you know, there are a hundred other successful companies you know, that have been working, you know, in much longer time frames, trying to figure out and get it right. Uh, entrepreneurially, that can be very depressing yeah, know, to the, hear about it, the companies that are up and running in nine months and thinking, I've been working on this for two years. Um, that is almost all the rule when you peel back the onion. It's yeah, a lot longer, longer and it's a lot hung, uh, harder than everybody tries yep. to pretend it is. Yep. So, Anthony, one, I want to thank you for taking the time out um, here on a, on, a sun, on a beautiful Sunday here in, uh, in San Francisco. Um, if people want to follow what you're up to, what's the best place to kind of see what you and you personally and what uh, Directly's doing? So it's uh, blog.directly.com. Uh, and uh, that is that is uh, a mix of uh, kind of founder stories and anecdotes oh. and also a lot of what we're doing around fluid work models and around what we're doing in customer service. And in the case of directly, are you taking expert signups now or is that done directly through your customers? Uh, it's through the customers. Okay. The companies cool. invite, Good. you know, their expert users in. Perfect. Hey, Anthony, I do want to take, thank, thank you very much for taking this time. You guys got a great story. I'm anxious to kind of see where you guys are going. But again, um, congratulations. You really kicked it out of the park at our pitch it event in Las Vegas. I want to thank you for taking the time to joining us there. And, uh, Thanks for uh, being part of this. It was, a, it was a ton of fun in Vegas, and this was a ton of fun here. Great. Uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break here to uh, obviously pay some bills. Uh, if you want to get connected to Killer Innovations, you can text the word INNOVATE to 33444, or you can send an, an email to innovate at killerinnovations.com if you're outside the U.S., uh, or check out the, the show notes. We'll have all the links to Directly and Anthony and see all the show notes from today's show over at killerinnovations.com. When we come back from this commercial break, we will have this week's killer question, which is really taking a look at this whole issue of the value chain, which ties in directly to the conversation that we just had with directly. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. You want to listen to in on this killer question. You're listening to Killer Innovations on the BizTalk Radio Network. Talk Radio. This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation so are you ready to exercise your creative muscle as i've shared many times 
you can't come off the couch being a couch potato and run a marathon. The same applies to using your creative muscle to look and identify and innovate on new ideas. So this segment, we always talk about what we call the killer question. These are questions that cause you to look at problems and opportunities in a completely new and different way, forcing you to go beyond the first obvious answer, the answer that all of your competitors will come up with or others that are working in the same space. You want to come up with the idea that's non-obvious. You want to come up with something that's going to force you to go after the problem in a unique and different way. So what is this week's killer question? This week's killer question is, is what will your company's value chain look like in five years? What will it look like? Today, how we deliver the experiences to our customers is going to be radically different five years, just as it's been radically different if you think back five years from now to today. So how do you determine where you, both as an individual or a business, will be in five years? Humans, we have a hard time kind of even thinking about a year from now. You can't say where exactly you're going because you can't predict what's going to happen in the world. There's a lot of outside variables that you will get impacted from. However, you can challenge yourself to change. Now, change is hard. People tend to want to kind of do the same thing day in and day out. And it's that constant challenge of doing something new. In 2001, Apple sales figures were in decline. The company at that point had yet to launch the iPhone, the iPad, or even the iPod and was struggling to get the computer products into the big box stores. And, and they were primarily focused in the PC space. Their small market share made them really a low priority for most retail outlets, and the company was frustrated really by their lack of control over that potential customer's experience with the Apple products. By opening up their own chain of stores, Apple was able to control the entire value chain from start to finish. Now, the stores purposely simplified and enhanced that customer's experience with the Apple products. And today, the physical stores alone pull in literally billions of dollars in annual revenue for, uh, for Apple. Now, can you replicate that kind of an experience for your own business? Uh, one area that's getting a lot of interest right now is the healthcare industry. And it's really trying to adapt to this coming, what I refer to as the gray wave. Now, the gray wave really refers to the way our population demographics are skewing older. We've got this big bubble of baby boomers, of which I am at the tail end of the baby boomer segment, that are coming along and will be aging. It's the largest kind of bubble that's kind of flowing through the whole demographic shift. Now, many of these people, some of them are childless, yet, and they want to live longer and independent life, or they've got kids, but they don't want to be a burden on their families. Now, these people will, in the next 10 to 15 years, they're going to require some form of nursing assistance, nursing homes to help them with their old age. And healthcare providers, particularly with the change here in the United States of regulatory, but it's a big issue in Europe and a huge problem in Japan right now, is how do you refocus your value chain to provide a different kind of experience that satisfy these gray waivers? Now, the traditional folk industry focuses on nursing homes and assisted living, but what the gray wave population wants is to remain in their own house, keep that sense of independence that's defined their lives. Now, savvy healthcare organizations are looking at a new kind of assisted living that offers these gray waves the chance to keep their independence, but at the same time offer them a level of safety and security they need in the event of unexpected illness, you know, uh, uh, surgical procedures where they need some help, uh, falls, just remembering to take their medicines. 
Now, when a gray waiver signs up for these services, these companies place sensors in their homes. These are everything from motion cameras to uh, sensors onto pill bottles. And basically, these sensors in the home are there to ensure that they're physically safe and haven't suffered any falls or unexpected problems. Now, these monitoring systems ex extend to such devices, such as these, you know, these caps on the medicine bottles, and they alert the nursing facility if a patient hasn't opened their medicine bottle to take their medication. And if you don't, it triggers a phone call. You get a call to remind you it's time to take your pills. Now, in my case, my grandmother lived until she was 96 recently. She passed away about a year ago. But she lived in Cincinnati. My wife is a nurse. She kind of takes care of all the medical needs for the both sides of the family. And we always had to worry about those situations. So this is a situation where it's a personal passion area for me because of you can see yourself in this, both in the case of family, parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles. But also when you start getting up into age, you start worrying about yourself. How are you going to uh, take advantage of these things so that you can live an independent life? Now, this change with these sensors and bringing technology in is a fundamental shift in the value chain for assisted living. Traditional assisted living meant that customers lived within the four walls of a facility that basically stripped them down to their sense of independence and autonomy. You felt like you were staying in a hospital ward. Now, that model worked for years, but the technology for alternative really didn't exist. And now that the technology is available, the value chain has to evolve. And by doing so, these nursing homes can continue to give the generation of people who prize their independence uh, above anything else that really the, the product that they want to need, you know, gradually going into these changes. So, and as you look at the ways your value chain might change or evolve over the next five years, consider what will happen if your existing customer group goes away and their needs change. Now, if you're aware of these changes, then you can take advantage of them and ensure your customers are getting so the sparking point, the additional questions for you to think about this week is, is if you assume the same level of progress that your company made in the previous five years, what will it look like five years from now? And what new elements will you need to create in your value chain over the next five years as technology, the needs of your customers, the total demographics change? And is your, is your competitor better positioned to change their value chain than you are? And why and what would you do differently? So get your notebook out. Take your 10 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes a day. That's all it takes is about 10 to 15 minutes. Get that creative muscle exercised. And over about a 30-day period, you'll find yourself to be much more creative. So go ahead and work on that. Now, if you want to stay up in Kill Innovations, you can text the word INNOVATE to 33444. If you're outside the U.S., you can send an email to innovate at killinnovations.com. Check out today's show notes over at KillerInnovations.com. We'll have all of the, the links to all of the uh, URLs and, and sites that we talked about here on the show. Also, you can find there how to connect in with the group over at LinkedIn and other locations. Also, don't miss out the other great shows on BizTalk Radio Network. Visit BizTalkRadio.com. Today's show is engineered by Jeremiah, who's always has to keep me on track. I'm Phil McKinney. Don't let the innovation critics get you down. Keep on innovating. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.
The opinions you hear on Biz Talk Radio are those of the hosts, callers, and guests, and do not necessarily reflect those of this station, Biz Talk Radio, its management, or advertisers. The information on Biz Talk Radio does not constitute a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or service. If you have any questions about Biz Talk Radio, contact us at 817-274-1609 or at biztalkradio.com. Biz Talk Radio. 